Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. We're doing TV. Covering the silver screen instead, yeah. Although... The silver screen? Isn't that TV? Silver screen? No, man. The silver screen is the theater. It's the movie theater. Are you checking... Um, she's grabbing her computer. She is checking to. <laughs> yeah, the screen is silver when there's no image projected onto it. It's a reflect. It's semi-reflective. <laughs> Funny. What did they call TV then? The, the small screen. No, I the was... idiot box. The boob tube. <laughs> Guess. You're on Midnight Local, the podcast from How to Drink, where we just talk about things. Movies. Uh, pop culture. Maybe some video games. That too. All the things. The things. The stuff and things. All of the stuff and the things on Midnight Local. Let's get to it. So we're going to talk about Columbo and Poker Face today and why you throw them together. You throw them together because uh, Natasha Leone said all for many years I've heard her in interviews say that she wants to do a remake of Columbo. And I'm pretty sure Poker Face is as close as... As close as she's ever going to get to being cast in the gender-bent Columbo. Yeah, I mean, she says that Peter Falk <laughs> is, like, one of the sexiest people she's ever seen on TV. She's got a lot of love for him. Ooh. So she, and I mean, she just embodies kind of what he embodied so well. And I didn't realize, like, on and off the screen, I didn't realize he was so funny. I was watching some interviews with him. Oh. He's a really funny guy. He was a comedic guy. He yeah. did a lot of comedies. Actually, it's funny. Um, the the Mrs. A H T D and I are uh, we watch movies in like fifteen minute spurts because she falls asleep immediately. It's um, the bane of my existence. It's the most frustrating part of my life. I know your pain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting because Rachel's a movie buff, so I wouldn't expect that to be an issue. We don't watch movies in bed. It's all t- that's why we watch TV that we don't care about when we're falling asleep because she's out like that. Yeah, yeah. We'll be watching on the couch and she'll uh, like, or the kids will go to bed and be like, why don't I watch a movie? She goes, I'll watch it in bed. 
be like, you know what? I'm going to go play video games instead. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I know what that means. Like, right. I just, I'll it's not happening. We're not I'm basically tucking yeah. you in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to, like, okay. So you're going to watch 10 minutes of a movie and then I'm going to watch TikTok for two hours after you fall asleep. Or I don't want to finish the movie without you. You'll get sucked into the movie and then tomorrow she'll be like, well, why don't we finish that movie? And you're like, I watched it. I watched the whole thing. I don't want to finish it again. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm, I'm too cool for that. I do turn it off. Unless I'm sure she does not want to watch the movie, I turn it off. Anyway, we're about 15 minutes or maybe 25 minutes into um, a great Peter Falk movie, The in, uh, the In-Laws? Yes, yeah, The In-Laws. Mm-hmm. The In-Laws, which is was remade many years later. Uh, and also, without a doubt, clearly the inspiration for Meet the Parents. Um, oh, that makes sense. Do you know what year that movie was? Off the top of my head, I... 70 something it's like post columbo or like there's really no oh no i think he did it it's like no he did it while he was yeah it was he was doing columbo yeah absolutely i'm trying to think of like other peter falk movies well i mean obviously the princess bride uh well he's also in uh the cassavetes movie uh influencing women is that what it's called oh maybe i haven't seen that one he did two cassavetes films that makes sense well they played opposite each other in this like independent mob movie called Mikey and Nikki, mm-hmm. which is a somewhat famous movie, uh, I think for their performances in it. And also for like amongst film buffs, like it's not famous, famous, but like, Oh, oh film nerd famous. You know what I mean? Love that. Um, but also, and I forget her name, but there was a, a lady directed it, which, you know, kind of a, kind of a novel thing for the time for at sure. any time, honestly, at any yeah, time. Still true. Now. Yeah. 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 Unless you're, Penny Marshall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I um but you know what? Honestly, I watched that movie and I'm like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, know? I'm curious about his know, movies now. Um, have you ever seen okay, so did you go to Lowe's movie theaters in the nineties? I'm sure I did, but Do you do you remember like the before the coming attractions, like the like the We Love the Movies montage? We did one at uh at Imaginary Forces. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. There was one that had Peter Falk in it that I remember from my entire childhood where all of a sudden he bursts into a room and says, nobody do nothing. I got to go to Cannes and I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's the line. That is from uh, – I, and I never knew what that movie was from. I finally saw it a couple of years ago. It's called Murder by Death, uh-huh. um, which is a spoof. I think actually spoof is the right term for this one where everybody is playing kind of a a bent or analog of a famous like uh pulp detective. So he's supposed to be Sam Spade, but like he's not Sam Spade, he's like Phil Club or something. You know what I mean? Like it's like they're all just slightly sideways. Um really uh awful yellow face by Peter Sellers mm-hmm. in this movie. Uh who plays Fu Manchu. You hate to see uh, no, it. No, Charlie Chan plays Charlie Chan. Who is a character born of yellow face? Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Chan, always a yellow face, a character. Uh, uh, the, perhaps the most bizarre thing about this movie that I swear to you is true. Uh, the villain in it is played by Truman Capote. Oh, wow. Like actual Truman yeah. Capote. Yeah, not portraying you Truman that, Capote. Yeah. You said that. Performed by Tr- Truman Capote. I immediately Capote. saw female- Philip Seymour Hoffman in my head for some reason. I'm like, that no. makes sense. And I'm like, nope, not what yeah. he's saying. Not what he's no, saying at actually all. Actually, Truman Capote. Yeah, Truman, <laughs> Truman Capote himself. Incredible. 
Well, I was the other other notables for Peter Falk. He was uh, nominated for Best Actor in a supporting role twice for the Academy Awards in Murder Inc. and Pocket Full of Miracles. Oh, and he tells I don't know of those. well, he tells an interesting story on Murder Inc. because this was like uh, I don't know what he had a job for, but he was living in Connecticut and he had some sort of like desk type job and was driving down. Hard to picture. To take right to take uh, an acting class. Well, he didn't start acting until like a little bit later. He was in the Merchant Marines. He did a bunch of stuff before that. I got a theory about that. I'm going to put a put a feather in that cap to pluck out in a minute. But go on. Okay. And well, so he took this acting class, and the woman running the class, who was a big name, and I don't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, we don't have we don't have the HTD. Like we'll put it in a graphic, but I don't know. We'll put it yeah. in the show notes or something. Uh, told him like you were born to be an actor, so he just like went back to his job and quit. And five years later was being nominated for a sporting actor role like he's stuck with it and one of those rare stories where it's like i quit my job and it worked out just fine (laughs) well you know i mean honestly though people i live a fairly high risk life financially speaking as i knock on wood right like i i'm dependent on (laughs) those same yeah yeah exactly that same kind of stardust and the thing that uh uh, I don't. Even, I think this came up on a recent podcast we recorded. But anyway, the thing that uh, Mrs. HTD and I uh, always kind of remind ourselves is like, you know, everybody we know who thinks that they have some real stable, safe life, you know, that the the money, the job is figured out, everything's figured out, and like, whew, we can we can rest easy. You're all gambling. Everybody's gambling. Yeah. We just know we're gambling. Yeah. <laughs> we just know it. So it's like, I don't think it's that risky to quit your job. Like, you know, you can just go get another job if it doesn't work out. <laughs> I think in the, in the 60s, it was a little bit different. Their job security existed a little differently than it does now. And you had pensions and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, the, you know, uh, tech companies are laying off employees to raise their stock prices. So, sure. Yeah. Different landscape. Absolutely. Teachers are being, well, maybe a little less so now, 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 but generally in the now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I always think that the, I don't know. I have this, I think the best actors, I mean, all of my favorite actors personally, uh, the most compelling are all people who came to acting later in life. I think personally, um, I think that, uh, uh, a, a terrible thing can happen to somebody who comes up as an actor and becomes an actor and remains an actor and is always an actor in that, like they don't have any non acting life experience mm-hmm. to draw on. They don't, they don't have anything else going on in there. You know, I mean, mostly true. I'd say Natasha Leone is kind of a, Oh, that's true. She was a child actress. Of course. She's an exception. Well, there's an exception to every rule, but she is an exception to that rule or, or feels like an exception to that rule. Because I don't know her personally. I think that there's a lot of exceptions to uh, to this one. It's not even a rule. I just think. But also, I get different things from like a Gene Hackman, um, whom I hold in very high regard as an actor. Uh, the blank face on Meredith right now. Oh, She's no, like, oh I, him. Uh, no, okay. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I was thinking of a fact I knew about Gene Hackman that he was like voted to for like in, from his college group to be the least likely to succeed. And he was like, look at me now. No, yeah. I, yeah. I love Gene Hackman. Nicholson, I think had a, 
he was he had a whole career before acting um i think uh hackman i know did he didn't start acting until he was like in his 40s um steve buscemi was was a firefighter i met him actually i was in emergency and disaster management graduate program for like a semester yeah and so i volunteered at a firefighter fundraiser in brooklyn uh and he always shows up to those things to help raise money at all of these events amazing so he was there i didn't know that Mm -hmm. i did not know that but yeah i don't know i think that there's like a lot to be said for coming to it a little later um that's not to say that and like i don't know natasha she was did she work continuously or did she kind of like leave the biz for a while i just genuinely don't know in my mind it was continuous but that's because i grew up with her in some very formative movies for me well she was in but i'm a cheerleader but i'm a cheerleader is there uh, was there a lot of other other than that and uh, she's in, down and out in Beverly Hills? No, not down and out in Beverly Hills. <laughs> that's a that's another movie. She's in Ten <laughs> Things I Hate About You. She's sort of oh, a best she? friend character. Okay, uh, who's always talking about her sex life and like she's the anti. I think it's Ten Things I Hate About You. I never maybe saw it's that She's movie. All That. Let me look this up. That would be weird if she was in the She's All That. Oh yeah, oh, she's God. in one of those movies. I never saw Ten Things, so it's a good it's a good nineties teen flick. It's the taming of the shrew. It sure is. Or kiss me, Kate, but taming first. Oh, American Pie. I think that might be what I'm thinking of. I'm wrong on both she's accounts. A, sh- she's in American Pie? That's definitely it. Yeah, she's uh, she's like a best friend. Huh. To who? I have not seen that movie in a really long time. I remember a scene where they're walking through the lunch line. And she's like huh. describing whether or not it hurts the first time you have sex. Hmm. All right. She was kind of the bad girlfriend. I don't think I ever actually watched American Pie. Never. I don't know about that. We should do some 90s teen yeah. comedies. Because I remember when that came out, I was just like, <sighs> like, it was just like a real eye roller of a movie to me. Yeah. Like, I just had zero interest. Yeah. Um, I did hear, uh, uh, a great I read an interview with um oh god what's her name she was uh in white lotus jennifer coolidge yeah jennifer coolidge she was in that movie and milf that's where it comes from yes that's true and she said that, that movie changed her life in the best way possible because she, <laughs> this interview she gave i think she was not lying she said at a minimum i have had sex with 1600 men because of that film. <laughs> At a minimum. I believe it. She's the original MILF. Like, of course. <laughs> that movie changed my life. And like, not just like men, but like hot young guys. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, all right, own that. Nice. I, uh, Jennifer Coolidge is on my people you'd like to have dinner list for sure. Because I just think I would be on the floor laughing the entire day. I think so, too. Yeah. I think so, too. The same interview, she said some, a lot of women, she thinks, had a hard time with comedy. Um doing comedy wells because they're at some level even if it's just a little bit they're terrified of looking ugly and she was like I, and i'm not yeah <laughs> you know i just i really don't care and i was like that might be true i can't relate i mean i'm not gonna i can't weigh in on the veracity of that i'm not in a position to i can imagine when you don't feel like that's like i think she's hot i i always thought that she was she's just a bigger woman uh mm. by hollywood standards Sure. But I guess if you feel that's something you can't be, the pressure of trying to be that goes away. 
That was like famously like Rachel Dratch. Love Dratch. Was supposed to play. I saw Dratch uh, at one of my favorite bars one night. Yeah. And Pegu Club. And there she was sitting at the bar. And I, I had no interaction with her whatsoever. I was just like, oh, cool. There I'm she is. in a bar with Rachel Dratch. There she is. So she was supposed to play Jenna Maroney in 30 Rock. Who's Jenna Maroney? She's Jane Krakowski's, the blonde, the blonde. Oh, Krakowski. Okay. Um, Like the star. She's the one who's playing the television is, star. Yeah. And the network was like, no, she's not pretty enough for this role. So they put her in like cameos in every episode of the first season. And she just shows up as like different people, like crazy cat lady on set and all of these things. Oh, that's funny. I wonder if, it, if she was like contractually already on on the like they are they were already on the hook to put her in every episode or something i read this story years ago so i can't i can't remember no i buy it about. i completely believe it yeah um kurkowski's another one she's been acting since she was very young oh i didn't know that i 30 rock is the first thing i saw her in yeah she's been around like it was one of those things where i was like oh surprising Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's actually talk about Columbo and and poker. Yeah, figures. and that we're doing something a little different today. We're doing TV, covering the silver screen TV. instead. Yeah, although the silver screen isn't that TV silver screen? No, man, the silver screen is the theater. It's the movie theater. Are you checking? Um, she's grabbing her computer. She is checking to. <laughs> Yeah, the screen is silver when there's no image projected onto it. It's a reflect. It's semi-reflective. <laughs> funny. What did they call TV then? The, the small screen. No, I the was... idiot box. The boob tube. <laughs> Guess. That's funny. All right, so not the silver screen. We're talking about television. Oh, I love that. Uh, how, are you right now doing the math on how many times you've used that wrong? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not really, though, because... I love when that happens, by the way. It's my favorite. <laughs> there should be a name. For, you know, there's like all these stupid... Oh, there's a German expression for that. You know, Sonder or whatever. Actually, that's not German. But like, um, there should be a name for that. Knowing, you know, sh uh, like Schadenfreude. There should be like a name for realizing that you've been using an expression wrong your entire life and going back through your memory to figure out. So I'm usually a one-timer because I usually get called out, but I am known oh. amongst my group of friends to just like misspeak and then think for a second and be like, that's not what I mean. It happens all okay. the time. There's a word for it. We call it blooping. Oh yeah, blooping. Like Meredith blooped. So bloop. that happens from time to time. Uh, a blooper. A famous one was... Uh, they were talking about Danity. I think it's Danity Kane, the girl group that was put together in one of those reality TV shows. I was kind of half listening. And I guess at some point I just chimed in and said, like, I don't think he's funny. And I was thinking about Dane Cook. They were all like, oh. what are you talking about? 
<laughs> so I get that uh, a lot from my great, friends. Though. They'll just look at me and be like, I don't think he's funny. I'm like, I know. Thank you. That's very good. I like that. So I have seen every episode of Columbo. Have you seen every? Well, I no. pause. I've seen all of the old episodes of Columbo. I stopped when he came back in like the 90s or whatever. And they, they started the show got it didn't work for me anymore. But uh, so I've seen all of let's just put it this way. I've seen all the good ones. Um, <laughs> you, you so you 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 lead me out to pasture on this one and I'll follow you. Tell me which ones we're going to talk about, because I, I don't know which ones you've seen. Yeah, I mean, well, so I was trying to start at the beginning, which if you know nothing about Columbo, which is one of these, like, I thank you for bringing it to my attention because it's like one of these things that's so part of the cultural, like, conversation or was at one point, but I missed every part of it. I didn't have anyone in my family who was watching it. I was completely unaware of it. Now that I'm aware of it, I'm seeing it everywhere and Poker Face came yeah. out and all that. I think Columbo had like a little, like a cultural revival in the zeitgeist there for a minute. It did, but it was like the most popular show on television for the first couple of years after it came out. People loved it. It's a fantastic show. Yeah. It deserved to be. Uh, And he was everywhere. He won four Emmys for it. Like it was not something that was just like came and went, you know? Oh, no. So I was looking on, I think it's on peacock right now or prime we were trying to figure out where it started and you end up with the two pilot episodes yes there's three pilot episodes there's two that no one considers really fully connected to the show however they are colombo episodes and then murder by the book which is the true pilot uh first episode yeah in 1971 directed by steven spielberg yeah spielberg that's a great like a 24 year old steven spielberg insane oh yeah I don't know if he did that before or after. Oh, what's that one? He did like a made-for-TV movie about a car that had no brakes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I forget the name of that movie, but it was just like, the car that couldn't stop. No! <laughs> yeah. I guess Peter Falk was the one who approved him and loved his enthusiasm. So maybe oh, I didn't know Peter that. Falk really is cool. why we have – I mean, I'm sure we would have had Spielberg either way, but mm, – You don't know. I mean, like every little thing. It's there, true. You know? Butterfly wings. Butterflies wings. Yeah. I, there was a, uh, I read a inter- uh, thing with Falk where he said, because the, so Columbo was done as a stage play first. Oh, okay. I thought it was a movie at some point, but a stage play. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it me was more. Pl- so, I mean, I don't know anything about it, but like the first pilot, the first, first pilot, which is the one where he's like the, the doctor is uh, poisoning his girlfriend or whatever. Mm hmm. Um, the really fancy swank swinging sixties doctor. Um, they perform that, and then uh, uh, Fox saw it in a theater or whatever, and like he said, like he it ended, and he says, "I gotta play this guy." Yeah, <laughs> I I gotta play this guy. I gotta get this job. Uh, and so that's how that, that he was like he had his sights set on this part from before there was a part for him to play in a way. Cause like it wasn't even being adapted. Yet, yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, the two show runners that did the show actually put on this play as like a pilot. I don't know. Like as like a test test run. All right. So let's talk murder by the book. Yep. Um, who's that villain? Who's the guy who plays the villain? In it? He's so good. In it. Jake Cassidy, Jake Cassidy. Is he, that's the actor's name. I'm wondering. I should, I wrote it down, but I don't know which order. 
wrote it down. I think that that sounds more like a character's name than an actor's name. <laughs> Take bets. I have no idea. I'd bet that on being a character's name. I'm going to look it up right now. IMDb, Murder by the Book. But like, what he? So one of the things I love about Columbo, Murder by the Book. Ken Franklin. Okay, Jake Cassidy is the actor. Ken Franklin is the uh, character. Oh, okay. So is Jake Cassidy. Okay. Yeah, that guy, he, so if you watch all of Columbo, you'll find out that there are like four or five actors who get to play all of the murderers. <laughs> they, they just keep coming back in new roles. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's definitely did it more than once. Oh yeah. Him is a, is a lot. He shows up a lot. Um, and, uh, and wonderfully so. Um, so here's one. What's who's he gonna murder? He's gonna murder his partner. He lures him out to like his lake house. Yes, that's right. He murders his partner is about to. They're co-writers, and he's gonna right. split up the the band. So he's. It, it, it's very apparent that the the man who gets murdered is the more creative of the two, and has definitely kept this afloat. And he's sort right. of just like spending all his money, buying expensive houses, and sort of living off his partner's creativity. So they've created this um sort of murder she wrote style it sounds character who is a detective a female an older female detective and he's gonna kill her off in this final book i never made that connection yeah that's true yeah and then go off to write his own series and break up the partnership could have been a miss marvel reference too Mm -hmm. well i'm yeah it wasn't murder she wrote at that time that's just what i was i'm just thinking that they both might be drawing on miss marvel actually she's a a recurring character of Agatha Christie's. Oh, that that would make a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, for that time. Yeah, always rich people on Columbus. So, uh, there, I found an article. I didn't dig into it, but it was like yeah. crazy rich people storylines in Columbo. It was just a list oh, yeah. of all the episodes with crazy rich people. They're never just regular people. Like uh, he's like a special detective who only handles very wealthy murderers. <laughs> 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 he only handles. Like, and uh, uh, my uh, wife and I often, we when we were, we've been shot house hunting, we'll walk into a house and like one of our first criteria is, would Columbo solve a murder in here? <laughs> That's a I don't think one. we can live here if not. No, <laughs> no. I think we should be, we should continue looking. <laughs> That's a great criteria. Yeah. Only want to be in houses that Columbo might just show up and, and make an egg sandwich in. <laughs> um, I don't think he does a lot of that in that first episode. And I don't know how much you've stuck with it, but like. A lot of times the murderer comes home and Columbo's just like on the couch. Hanging out in the house. There's- yeah, absolutely. What are you doing here, Columbo? Oh, I was reading a book and I was interested and I had this question. Anyway, I needed to make a phone call and I was in the area. So I stopped by to use your phone. I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't exactly. mind. He just lets himself into people's houses. <laughs> well, and he has this way of just like lingering around and touching their stuff. And like, you know, he is yeah. always sort of moving around and taking taking in the space so the oh, the other one i watched and we can just talk about them together because i think oh, you've only seen two that weren't like the the pilot that's right yeah so right. A, a, any old port in a storm is oh that's a great one uh, yeah so i watched it because peter falk has said it's his one of his favorite episodes or favorite yeah. episode because it was the first episode where like he liked the killer yeah like, he had a fondness for him Yes, at the end they yeah yeah well Donald Pleasance is the guy and right. it's actually one of the more genius 
um solves as well because a lot like not a lot but some of the columbo episodes like he just sort of like annoys them into confessing right and he he doesn't like them he like takes he wants to sort of mess with them and do these power plays because they underestimate him and on purpose right and donald pleasance's character adrian doesn't really he's teaching him about wine he takes him seriously because and he doesn't like the guy who was the victim either Right, his the brother's kind of a kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's also, not a fan of that guy. Donald Pleasance, for people who are trying to get a visual, most people know him from the Halloween franchise. He's the psychologist. Oh yeah, yeah. Or detective? He's no, he's psychologist, right? I think that's probably true. It's funny. I don't think of him. I just think of him as that guy who's in every movie from that time frame. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He's everywhere. But yeah, I guess that's probably his biggest part. Um. I think he was in a lot of the Bond movies as well. I think he was he Blofeld. No, he wasn't Blofeld. He was one recurring Bond villain. I, I think. Um. Yeah, and they solve it by uh, he he proves he he complains that the port had gone bad at this restaurant and like very cleverly, uh, Columbo had swapped the port so that he could essentially that proved that the dude was the murderer. Only he. Yeah. He took it from his wine cellar, and so he proved that, like, the temperature had been turned up. Because what happens is the brother dies, is left in there for two days, and, like, yes. suffocates and dies, I think. Something similar Awful to that. Way to die. I know. Bruising. Really terrible. Yeah, just, like, starved to death in a, in a basement. Just tied up in a basement. Yeah. And yeah. so because the wine went bad, he was able to prove that something had happened in, this, in the wine cellar. Columbo. It's like... I got to tell you, you're one of my favorite murderers. You tortured your brother to death, <laughs> yeah. but God damn it. I like you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't quite explain it. What an awful way to go. Oh, did you see the body, the foam around the mouth? Oh, oh, <laughs> it was, it was lying in a puddle of his own shit. It was horrible. Anyway, I wish we could go out for a yeah, drink. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> then they do at the very end. They have like a final glass of wine together in the car. Always eating at crime scenes. Has that come up? In, no, you've only seen those two. He frequently wanders through a crime scene, uh, un, uh, unpeeling, unpeeling a hard boiled egg and cramming it into his mouth. Um, just leaving <laughs> shells all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he just has one in his trench coat pocket. He's like, do you mind if I eat? And he just like walks around the body eating. Can't handle blood. Doesn't like to look at bodies. Every time they're like, uh, detective, you want to see the body? No, I don't. Oh, huh. <laughs> I didn't, I haven't caught that yet either. No, that comes up a lot. Doesn't like to fly. That comes up in a few episodes. Okay. Um, really like the prototype for monk in so many ways. Um, I, I presume I've actually never seen monk, but like, I don't understand how it could be otherwise. Like, isn't he like super, um, just weird, right? Like he's got real OCD or something. I think he's autistic. Yeah. Did they have that terminology? I don't Now you would say that. I think, I think that here. is purposeful. Yeah. I do think that's oh. the case or he has OCD. I, I'm not. He had OCD. Okay. I know that that's how they always, I've never seen an episode, but is it the same format where you kind of like. What's so interesting about this show, too, is like, and Poker Face took on this format where we know the solution to, we know who the killer is. So the show is more like Ryan Johnson calls it a how catch him instead of a who done it. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Johnson didn't invent that term. Well, he's, that's what he uses to describe Poker Face. Okay. I just don't want to, you know, we're not going to burnish up his genius here. I didn't say invented. I just said that's what he calls it. 
Yeah, it's a how catcher. <laughs> and I don't know that Monk is. I never really actually watched Monk. Um, but yes, it's um it's the how catch him. I think there's one episode in all of Columbo where the audience is not in on it, where there's a possibility mm. that like it's not hundred percent clear who the murderer is, and I kind of forget which one it was. Oh, that's cool. There's a really weird one where he's on a cruise boat, cruise ship. And I am convinced that they shot it on a cruise ship because he wanted to go on a cruise. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, they very much so shot it on a cruise ship. Yeah. You can tell. Like, people are, like, slumping into the sides and stuff of the walls, <laughs> like, as they're trying to film. There's no question. It's really on a boat. Um, Mrs. Columbo is in the background of that entire one. Oh, no kidding. Not in the show. But like they keep missing each other on the boat. And yeah, yeah. I heard an interesting interview with him where like someone puts it to him that I guess there was a theory that Mrs. Columbo was just something he put on to disarm. Yeah. Or that she was a ghost or something. Yeah. She she wasn't. Well, she wasn't real. And he was like, at least as far as his motivation for the character is absolutely untrue. She was 100% real. What he wonders about is like he thinks that she is his only family besides the kids they have a kid or two or no one's really sure how many they have kids he also mentions a brother-in-law several times okay so the reason we can't really stand <laughs> interesting so the reason he says he thinks he's low on relatives is that he never uses relatives to relate to the killers or to get into them like he says he would have thought that he would say things like oh i have a nephew who always comes in my back door unannounced or something like that he just never uses that once in the show it's always about mrs colombo yeah so is this why you call your wife mrs how to drink are you inspired by colombo no it was just a way to avoid (laughs) using her name on the show without having to like i'd have to constantly ask her permission like hey honey can we uh, mention you in public here today Uh, and i just figured you know what let's just give her mrs how to drink um but i guess that's an interesting point it could be related to that i just realized too that diane in, and I've never heard um, him say this, but I would not be surprised at all if it was at least part of the influence um, in Twin Peaks might be uh, heavily influenced by the Mrs. Columbo character, whom Agent Dale Cooper is constantly leaving voice recordings for Mrs. for Diane. OK, I'm not, I haven't ever really gotten through Twin Peaks. OK, OK. People tell me I love it all the time. I've started it like three times. I've never finished it. Yeah. I mean, I always hate that, too. Oh, you would love this. As soon as you tell me that, I'm like, I bet you I won't. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to be looking for everything yeah, wrong with now it. Now you've made it a challenge. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know me that well. You can't get under my skin. Um. <laughs> No, the uh, there was a show called Mrs. Columbo. Oh, <laughs> wow. It ran for one season. It was totally unauthorized by okay. everybody who worked on Columbo. I would imagine. Do you know who played Mrs. Columbo? No. Nope. Kate Mulgrew. Who is that? Captain Janeway on Star Trek Voyager. Oh. She's also in um, that show I'm sure you loved, the, the Orange and New Black. Oh, oh okay i i know who you're talking about now yep okay yeah and so it ran for one season and i guess the premise was that like you never see columbo in the show right it's reverse columbo yeah exactly what does she do is she a detective yes oh no (laughs) yeah but not like a sanctioned one she just like solves murders for fun 
Okay. She's like an internet. She's like an internet detective before internet detectives. She's just a yeah. nosy shortwave radio detective yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. She's just looking around the neighborhood, looking for problems yeah. and nosing into people's business. Yeah. I understand the temptation to do that, but I, there's something so untouchable and pure about Columbo's privacy as a character. I mean, you don't really yeah. even know his first name, although people think it's Frank because I think it is. Frank. They never really say it though. There's just like you can freeze frame on a card, huh. and it says he signed his his badge, and it says Frank Colombo. But you only see it twice. He never uses a gun in the entire series. Yeah. There's actually a particular episode where like a junior cop is showing up around him all the time, uh, just like constantly harassing him that it's time for him to go get. Um, he has to like redo his certification, his qualifications at the range. Uh, and he just keeps dodging him. And finally, I think at the end of the episode, he just like pays him off so that he doesn't have to go qualify. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and then the other, there's only uh, counterpoint. He is, seems to never be in any danger from these cold blooded right. killers whom he is trying to pin this on. Well, they're always like, there's very specific reasons that they murdered, you know, but yeah, you would think that you're going to catch me yeah, is a pretty good reason. It is. It is. But that's true. Like killing cops. That is a, it's a line to cross. Right? Yeah. Right. Like even on like the wire and stuff, like it has a very distinct line. Yeah. There is one episode, I think, in season one where somebody fires a shot in his general direction. You said that, that like only once yeah. or twice is he ever in true danger. Yeah, I think that's right. There's a couple of times, too, where he drops like the facade, which I always think is interesting. It doesn't happen because like they could have made that like a thing like, you know, in the show, like, oh, I wonder when he's going to drop the Columbo mask. But I think it's only like three times in the entire run. Where all of a sudden, like, he stops being a befuddled old, like, you know, Columbo, and it's, uh, it's time to get, get real. There's like one, I forget which one it is, but he, like, says to the guy, I'll tell you what I think. And he's just like totally deadpan, like flat. I think you murdered your wife, and I'm going to catch you on it. <laughs> you just, that would be terrifying. Uh, and there's like another one where somebody just starts talking, and he, like, just like taps him on the shoulder. He's like, listen, 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 listen. You should stop talking to me and go get a lawyer. <laughs> you should go get a lawyer. Just stop. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, the, uh, I was reading a story about how they always had to come up with different ways to pull the like, just one more thing. Yeah. That he's known Which he for. actually never says, by the way. Never says that exactly, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. I watched. I was looking for yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. What types of stuff does he say? He'll say, oh, another thing. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I Listen, on my way out of here. Uh, could you, it was a bad man, you know, but he never says, oh, there's just one more thing, you know, which like is if you, as soon as you say that it does have weight mm -hmm. and when he drops it in the show, it's, it genuinely is innocuous. It's never like, oh, this is how he's going to get him. Like you, you get a little I'm ready for it. Like, you know, the setup eventually, but they do a good job of not letting that get stale or sort of no. like. Here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, too, he always asks people what they paid for their shoes. Yeah. It comes up a lot that he's got to get new shoes and he asks people What'd what you they pay paid for, for those shoes? shoes. And then he's always like flabbergasted by how much they spent. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It'll be like, 
I, I don't know, $6, $6 for shoes. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, I got to get a pair of shoes, but I can't get those. That's funny. Well, his the coat and the shoes, the raincoat and the shoes came out of his own closet. That was like, he's like, this is yep. this is what I'm comfortable in. This is what this guy would wear. The whole costume came right out of his closet. Well, no, they, they had the costume, but he had them dye everything brown. So like the suit and everything. Oh. So he was just- the trench coat was his the coat yeah his coat yeah okay the coat and his shoes gotcha were his um there's one episode where they like they trick this murderer i I, you know it's one i it's the one that i fell asleep during that mrs hdd does not have the couthness that i do she finished it without me traitor they i know i know and they lured this guy into an apartment or something like that. And at the, it's like, this is like real seedy skid row hellscape apartment. And like at the end, they're just like, how did you, uh, how'd you find this place detective? He goes, Oh, this is my new place. We haven't moved in yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> so apparently like that's, I mean, it's, he's not lying at that scene, you know? Uh, so some cameos, I guess is fun. So many. Yeah. William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy both played murderers. Oh, Nimoy. Yeah, I do remember him on that. Shatner was, um, he was like an aging actor. I guess if you look in the background, there's a picture of Shatner as um, Kirk. That makes sense. Like a headshot. he's, He's like an aging actor who only gets to work because he's got a real sweet deal from like the studio exec. But like she calls it off and of course dies um so yeah wonderful uh jeff goldblum <laughs> this is a funny like well i don't so, remember him so here's because he's not really there's like a protest scene that happens okay. and he walks by camera twice as a background protester okay. and this is his first he's uncredited but this is the first time he ever appeared on network television <laughs> <laughs> just as a background actor the only episode i could think of with a protest scene is the one where the murder happens on the grounds of an unnamed middle eastern country's like embassy yes that's the one they yeah. give them like a fake they gave the country like a fake name and yeah. you just see jeff goldblum walk by camera <laughs> i got it <laughs> so that episode concludes that i watched that i was like oh so the episode ends with like a confrontation in like the embassy and uh Columbo lays it all out for the guy. You know, he's like, this is what you did. I think you did this, blah, 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 blah. And the guy's like, well, what if I did? You know, it's not like you have any evidence about that. And then like the prince of, you know, Evilistan or whatever country it was supposed to be comes in. He goes, but I don't need any evidence. <laughs> Don't worry, Columbo. We'll take it from here. And Columbo's just like, okay, boss. And he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, that's right. I set you up for the worst death you could possibly imagine. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was like, that guy's fucking evil, man. Columbo, that's some, some very unexamined darkness in Columbo right there. Yeah. Who else we got? We got Jamie Lee Curtis who plays a waitress in, in an yep. episode. I remember that. That's the one where the murderer is uh, Johnny Cash, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, Johnny Cash is an episode. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. They're in the same episode. I can't wait to get to more of these. I think we've been watching so much stuff for the show that like, I watched a couple and then all of Poker Face, and now I'm really looking forward to getting back. 
But it's also nice. Like I'm enjoying spreading it out because they're their own contained movies. So there's no need they were. to watch them one yeah. after the other, binge watch them. And they aired once a month when they were doing the right. show or maybe even less than that. It wasn't like weekly or even, you know, like it's such a weird. So there was a, on NBC, right? It was NBC. They had a weekly mystery slot and then they had four or more separate detective shows that would occupy it. And so they cycled week to week to week. Um, and so they're like 90 minute movie episodes. It's really cool. Well, and then the nineties, they were like yearly specials, but you said those ones aren't as good, but yeah. In the eighties, they actually went to a half an hour format for a while. Okay. And I watched one of those and I was just like, Oh, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> this is very bad. There was like one where he was like, I don't know. There was something like it was a secret laboratory working on psychic powers and stuff. Mm. And he like, uh, you know, he, he, and this is sad, but like. He had um really bad dementia at the mm. end there. Um and uh I think you can start to see it I a see. little bit okay. in some of those. And it's just like, you know what? I don't like to see this man have to keep working. I'm sad now. Yeah. I you know, Peter Falk should just be enjoying his many millions of dollars and having a nice time and not still dancing for nickels. <laughs> I guess, but he loved the character so much. I don't know if you would have felt that way about it. No, he probably didn't. Yeah. Honestly, you're right. Um, and then the the sad part is though that I mean I don't remember where I read this, but that like he at the end there had no memory of ever playing Columbo. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 It wasn't like he got lost in the Columbo memory. That wasn't what was left. It wasn't there. Yeah. So they say. I mean, maybe it was just locked in. Yeah. So. Poker face, man. We've done a lot of Columbo. <laughs> So him and Natasha Leone are sort of these actors like Nicolas Cage is like this. Jeff Goldblum is like this. They are who they are in character and also uh, in like off screen as well as celebrities. Interesting. Like Natasha Leone just has a quality that sticks with her from everything. And so when I was watching interviews with Peter Falk, every time he opens his mouth, the whole audience laughs for a second. And it's yeah. because he is Columbo and he's not putting it on. He just is. And then they settle into the fact like this is who this guy is. Are you sure he's not putting it on? Yeah. No, I, I watched like a bunch. I watched it inside an a the actor's studio, which it would be a long time to put on a character. And it's like a little less prevalent there. Like he is being a comedian in some of his other interviews yeah. and in some of his accepted speeches. But no, it's just the way he talks. I'm not saying like he's being the character exactly, but there's sure. just a way of his mannerisms, a way he is yeah. that comes that's ever present. And like, see, I think in Jeff Goldblum's case, it's a, it's an act. I think that's probably right. I think he's a weird dude though. And that's just kind of what comes through. Yeah. I think he is a weird dude. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's a real weird dude. We won't go into it, but I know you got more thoughts on that. I mean, I just, there were some things I read. I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, we probably won't even, we probably shouldn't use it in the podcast. Like, yeah. I'm not going to make any accusations, but these, I read some stuff, went away. I don't know. And then I started connecting a few dots and I was like, you know what? You didn't always be that guy. <laughs> you look at his earlier work and he doesn't have this sort of like put out grandpa maneuver. Mm. That whole like, 
oh, I'm so quirky and weird. <laughs> uh, he doesn't really have that like thing going on. He's just like a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> his earlier movies. So at some point, he really leaned hard into this Jeff Goldblum, capital letters, character that he's playing. Sure. Um, I thought you, I didn't think you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say what you said. Him and Natasha Leone, they have this certain quality that other actors, I thought you were going to say grubbiness. They're so, gr- but yeah, <laughs> they're but grubby. They they're do wonderful. have a similar, the raspy voice and like, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, it, like in every interview, he's just smoking, he's just chain smoking cigarettes. I mean, they oh, all were then, but like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's smoking cigarette after cigarette and she, is can't be like that as much, but if she could for most of her life, she would have been doing the same yeah. thing. She's a hardcore smoker, right? I guess so. She, I just, she recently quit and she's taken on surfing. That's how she's trying to keep herself from smoking. <laughs> she can't smoke on a surfboard and she's taken it's to a new wet. hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's too wet. That'd be a great bit in a movie though. Yeah. Somebody smoking on a surfboard. Yeah, exactly. She's like out there. <laughs> All right, let's surf this fucking wave. <laughs> See how long this could stay lit. Yeah, I was watching her Twitter feed like the days following her quitting, and she was just watching Columbo to get through it, but not very helpful because he always has a cigar in his mouth. But oh, yeah, she was just talking about how much she wanted cigarettes and was like watching Columbo to stay distracted. <laughs> um, but yeah, poker face. So Poker Face is definitely inspired by at least her character and the format. Yeah. It's undoubtedly, but you know, there's hints of other things. Like she's called it a cross between Magnum PI, the dude, which I kind of see as well. The dude. She's just sort of like living out of her car and like, yeah, she's got a great line when they're in the first episode, when they're pulling off this, trying to pull off this, uh, it's not heist, but they're trying to like use yeah, her to read when he's lying. Yeah. To, and uh, he's like, well, don't you just want to be filthy rich or whatever? And she says, look, I've I've been really rich. I like to be fine. What's the exact quote? And he like asks her, asks her. Oh, she says, I've been rich. It's easier than being poor, harder than doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that is a great line. Actually, I do love that. I I really liked um, Poker Face. I loved it. It was a ton of fun. Um, I'm trying to think, what was the? There was like, there was a point though where I was like, I don't know. Like the first, like I watched the first three episodes and I was like, all right, I don't know. And then I think it was the one with the old hip, the old radical hippies, where it really clicked in for me for some reason. Clicked in that you didn't like it or that you didn't? No, that I was on board. That's oh, when it like really I won that me episode. over. Yeah, that's yeah. that's one of my favorites. I honestly... You're going to blow up kids? Yeah, right. <laughs> Children, you're going to blow them up. Well, and just deadpan. It was a different time. <laughs> Tell yeah. her it was a different time. <laughs> What's the line they always say to you when they close the door and they're like, oh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta fucking kill him or something like that. Or he's got to fucking die. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I think is my favorite episode. Uh, that and the um, ILM. What's the name of the company they call it? Oh, the special effects wizards. Uh, they call it LAM, but it's yeah. like a playoff of with ILM. the um, with Nick Nolte. Yeah. Stop motion stuff. Yeah, that was a really cool one. Yeah, and she directed that episode as well. Oh. So yeah, it was a really she's, cool episode. 
She's loving directing, apparently. So that's cool. I also liked. I was a big fan of the one, <laughs> the, the barbecue radio personality oh, yeah. and the racist dog. I was just like watching. I was like, "What is happening? <laughs> this is so weird." The fascist dog, <laughs> who I thought was going to turn into like her buddy on the road, and I'm so no. glad. I'm so glad they didn't do that. Uh, well, Columbo has a dog for a long time, so I think oh. that's a nod to Columbo. Yeah, he does. At some point, he gets a dog, and then the dog shows up in a lot of episodes. Yeah. Uh, so they give him a little sidekick. You know? A wonderful thing they do in that episode, too, is he sort of sets up and teaches her that when you smell the woods, it's like a symphony and the different music. Yeah. And they use those audio cues throughout the whole episode. And then the yes. cinnamon one is like a foghorn or something ridiculous like that. And so when she's trying to figure out what happened, the foghorn is what connects to, oh, there was like cinnamon floss used in this bottle or oh. to get through the door. And it's just like uh, audio cue like that. I love that episode. Must be fresher in your mind because I don't remember exactly that. But Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, I do remember that. That was right. Yeah. She goes around trying to, cause there's a, a sliver of wood in, um, in the dog, cause he clubs the dog. And so yeah. she's using the evidence of going around and sniffing all the wood and hearing the different symphonies in her head until she finds the match. The big difference, of course, is that she has other characters attached to her, you know, and she a has, through line. Yeah. And there's a through line, but I mean, you know, she's got a sister, she's got friends. She's got like, Columbo doesn't have any of these. He's got acquaintances that occasionally yeah. show up. And that's it. She ends up having a relationship that we can presume went on for months and then just ends. It's like a oh, montage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. With the ridiculously hunky, like, mountain boy. Yeah. It's like a five-minute montage. And then he's just broken up with her. And she's at a gas station trying to get money to get onto the next spot. I'm just imagining Natasha in some, like, in the, at the, in the meeting. And she's, like, smoking. And she's just like, ah. Uh, could I be uh give me a really hot guy to have a thing with here and then just be like everybody's right hotter just like real hot <laughs> oh that's amazing actually I got the scoop on something once oh yeah I was coming home really late from work I used to work at this little production place in Tribeca and <laughs> and I was walking up the block and it was like dead. I mean, there was nobody but me and two other people on this block kind of passing at, you know, a 30 foot pace or whatever. And I got home and I said to my wife, I said, you know who I saw on the way home? And she's like, who? And it was, uh, Natasha Leone. And, uh, I can never remember that actor's name. The guy who's, who was on SNL and, and Fred Armisen, Fred Armisen. And I saw Fred Armisen and not Natasha Leone. Uh, uh, is it Leone or Leone? I've heard it said both ways, and I'm not positive which is correct. Natasha Leone, uh, and I and I and she, my wife, rolled her eyes at me, and and I was like, and they're getting in a cab together. And she rolled her eyes at me, and she goes, "Greg, you think you see? You always think you see these people. Like you don't see. Like it's not them. That's ridiculous. Like what are they doing together?" Well, it was like the next day or two days later, there was like a, a you know, it had broken into the uh, the gossip rags that they were an item. And so yeah, I, like, and they I, were I, broke, for a while. I had the scoop, man. <laughs> like I saw it. <laughs> I saw it before it was in print. Hell yeah. If you had gotten that picture at that time, you could have sold it for millions. No, I don't think so. I don't think hot scoops about Natasha Leone and Fred Arbison are worth millions. <laughs> Probably would have got Probably 50 bucks millions. for it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Maybe $1,000. So yeah, the one episode I could have done without was the finale. Uh, with the sister and everything. Why? I just didn't need it. 
all at once like that. Or yet, I don't know what it was, but they sort of like, so she doesn't solve a mystery in that episode, really. She's just there after her. And then they yeah. go into her backstory, her troubles with her sister. You get. Well, she does solve a mystery. She figures out who killed the boss. That's right. Yes, she does. But. um, And then it's kind of a little outlandish how it all comes together. And then it's just like, okay, now we're raising the stakes. Yeah. Even more. I. I liked sort of the quaintness of her on the road. I could have done multiple seasons of that. I could have, absolutely. I could have had, I could have ended this season with her in the hospital waiting to find out what happens when she comes out. Yeah. I think so too. I don't know. I was just like, it was the one episode. It changes the uh, format in a way. Yes. It felt like it. Yeah. It did feel like it changed the format. I, I personally never needed anything to happen with the people she was running from they could have literally just faded it out so that it was no longer an issue and you're just left with this character who's a a vagabond for no reason right (laughs) right right and maybe occasionally it sort of pops back in and uh but now now it's heightened to this new level where she's being hunted down by people with much more resources it sounds like and so i wonder what season two will be like with her just not sort of Thelma and Louising it on her own. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Why would she not be on her own anymore? What's going on? No, she'll be on her own. I just think that like in the first season, she was just sort of running from Benjamin Bratt. And it was yeah. like, he's chasing her. She can't use credit cards, like all the basic. Uh, but the way that the woman is setting it up, who she's talking to in the end of season one is basically like, we have eyes everywhere. You're not safe anywhere. It's like they raise the stakes on her a little bit. I'm just curious what all that'll do to the feel of the show. I can't imagine that's going to actually make any difference at all. Well, I, I hope not. I really hope that yeah. that's right. Because for a big chunk of the show, you kind of forget that she's even you have to. running from anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it has to come up at the beginning of every episode and at the very end. But it's not... There's several episodes in there where you're just like, oh, she's moving on to a new place. Doesn't really. That's true. And it's it's unspecified amounts of time usually that she's spending in one place or another. Like the whole first season could have taken place over a year or two for. Yeah. Maybe they do specify it sometime, but it didn't matter. No, I don't know if they did, but it could have been years. Yeah. I mean, she was dating that guy for a couple of months at least. Had a whole life there. (laughs) Whole life. Uh, I also think I probably built up in my head. Her reunion with Claire Duvall, who plays her sister. <laughs> because, mm. And I was hoping for like an episode with the two of them together. And maybe you'll you'll get more of it. Mm. Um but they're like they're besties in real life. And oh, are they? as a young lesbian, their relationship and but I'm a cheerleader was very special to me. <laughs> I understand. As a young straight. Anthony Michael Hall's relationship to Kelly LeBrock and weird science <laughs> was very special to me. So I can relate. Yeah. When uh, Orange is the New Black came out, I knew in my mind that she was gay. And I think a lot of other people feel this way too. And was very surprised actually when she was dating Fred Armisen to be like, oh, okay, she's not. She just, she just reads that way. Well, and she's played, I mean, she was playing gay characters when it wasn't cool to play gay characters. So I think, and at the beginning of her career. So I think it's just the work she could get as a lesbian. She gets a pass. She's allowed to be a straight who plays gay characters because she took the risk young. (laughs) Her agent was like, listen, Natasha, 
you come off a little grubby. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to think a little outside the box to find roles for you here. <laughs> Amazing. I, I got to work gay. Okay, fine. <laughs> and I can't think of anyone better that you could just shove into a dress and it's like, in but I'm a cheerleader. And it's like, yeah, oh. something's a little off here. So, yeah. But she looks like the cheerleader, but something's a little off. Like best yeah. casting ever. You, you must love um, uh, Russian Doll. I haven't watched the second season, but I really, really liked the first season. The second season is good. It's not quite as strong as the first season. I think I've it's heard different. that, which is it's why I It's a different thing. Okay. Um, but like the first season felt so conclusive, so self-contained with them yeah. joining the dance macabre at the end and right. descending into the tunnel. Like I was like, Ooh, <laughs> okay, unto yeah. death. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they had always intended to do a second season or if it was just so popular that. I don't think so. The second season is cool, but I mean, it's a time travel season. Like mm. it's a completely different premise than the first season. So, mm. okay. Um, there is something to me about like, and I I think about this like music sometimes too. I like to listen to a lot of quite old jazz and blues and stuff like that. And if you take that same music, like if you ever hear like swing revival, jazz mm-hmm. revival from the nineties, and it's all crisp and properly mastered and stuff like that, it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's kind of got to be recorded. Like the stuff that's recorded in the thirties and in the forties, it carries with it the sound of that recording and that's part of what makes it work. And to some extent, I think a big part of what makes it work for Columbo is the aesthetics of the medium of the, of of the medium of the medium. Yeah. Of the film of the lenses Mm -hmm. of the four by three framing of the green in it and the color palette that was achieved. That was only attainable through that film. And if you you can't simulate that because then it's like it's a false patina you know it's just you're putting on airs but like it is kind of missing from something like poker face for me where it's like it's just too clean like it's a little bit too fresh looking for me for this to click like that's my only complaint about poker face is that Mm -hmm. i can't watch it without comparing it to columbo Mm -hmm. and it in my opinion, is like, well, it doesn't really compare to Columbo very well, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think they managed to make it different enough that eventually it becomes its own thing. But I also haven't watched as much Columbo. I'm not as connected to it. Well, yeah. But do you know what I mean? I'm, I, but back to my point about the grain, about the grain and the colors and the film yeah. stock and like that being a part of a thing that in a lot of media, like it's hard to separate it. Like if you took the French Connection, and you shot that same movie now um, on, you know, modern lenses. Don't give anyone any ideas. I know. Right. And it does it like cease to be this masterpiece of, um, you know, like detective drama and like suddenly become like a low budget, you know, like it's one of those like the 30 movies, the 30 crime movies a year that, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of who that actor is that used to be somebody that you could work with. Um, uh, he's from, he's not from Australia, but they say he's from Australia. <laughs> Mad Max. What's that actor's name? Oh, 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 oh. Oh my God. He's so racist. He is? <laughs> yes. I, uh, from Lethal Weapon. Tom Hardy. 
No, not Tom Hardy. Oh, the guy that's from who's Mad Weapon. Max. Yeah, not the original Mad Max. Tom Hardy oh, will never okay. be Mad Max. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I got nothing against Tom Hardy, but please. Oh, oh, you're talking about Mel Gibson. You know, he makes like a lot of movies like every year, like low budget crime movies. And oh, I he wonder. Does. Oh, yeah, he does. He keeps working. Well, there's a market for him still. Yeah. I mean, he's bankable in, to some degree. Right. But I do wonder. And honestly, he's very talented. You know, he's a huge piece of shit. But boy, God damn it, man. The guy can can act and he can direct and he can do all of it. Uh, big piece of shit. Tom Cruise factor. Tom Cruise factor. You know, uh, uh what's his name? Roman Polanski factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big pieces of shit. Um, but I wonder, like, if he does that to like the French Connection without that, that grit, would it really work? I don't know. I think it would just be forgettable. I think for some people, they like that. They like the refresh. But I'm with you. I like the the quality of the older versions. I think that yeah, but I guess what I'm saying though is if you tell that same kind of story now, it does not like the medium made that right. The limitations of the medium made that genre it elevated it. Mm. Oh, way. you're talking about like crime drama specifically. In general, right? Like I wonder like now you do it on this crisp, clean looking digital picture and it suddenly feels I don't know, maybe that's just me though. Maybe that's just our our own expectations and like it doesn't have the same uh, – it's not as alluring. It doesn't draw me in. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I can't, like, put words to it exactly, but I know what you're talking about. Like, are the noirs of the 40s mm. so memorable because they were just that much better written? Or is it everything working together? Well, it's the high-speed black-and-white film, high-contrast lighting. It's the grain. It's, of course, the actors and the way the dialogue was written. But, like – you know, they kept making quote noir films for you know. There's still noirs. They right. don't have that level of elevation. I think that's yeah. It feels like something, and I think when yeah. you try and recreate that, it's like oh, that is reminiscent of something, but there it, it doesn't feel like something. It becomes homage. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they do a good job with Poker Face taking it enough. Not, they're not remaking Columbo. You no. know, it has qualities of Columbo. Yes. That. They achieve bringing it into a new, uh, into a new era, I suppose. I also, I don't need her to be like clairvoyant. Well, she's not. Not clairvoyant, but I don't need her like, I can tell when people are lying. I don't need it to be spelled out the way it is. Like this piece of magic that they don't really explain. Eh. She says it's not magic. Yeah, but like it, it is. It is, it is magic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, it's not I, magic. Yeah, it kind of is though. If like if they played that down a little bit where she doesn't explain it, like this thing that is like a hard and fast rule. It never is wrong. It's always right. Yeah. Like if she just has that ability, that's fine for me. I don't need it to be explained in the way that it is. I think it's almost like a challenge for the writers. Okay. Like once you've decided that this character cannot be lied to, any lie you tell this character, she will immediately recognize as a lie. All of a sudden now the people who are writing the show have to like deal with that. Like mm-hmm. it's like a huge, you know, whoa, right. man, you know, like we got to solve for that. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, how many plots would be unmade by cell phones, you know, mm-hmm. in so many shows and movies and stuff like that. And like, it's, it's that 
level of like disruptive to the setting and the material. Yeah. Well, and they use Adrian Brody's character as the character that they play with that the most because he knows what she is. And yep. so you, he never says things as fact. Yep. Like his dialogue is written around her ability. Yep. Nobody else in the show, you don't really get that after he's gone. Ben Bratt knows. He knows, but like he doesn't need to lie to her. He's going to kill her and she knows it. You know, like there was a couple of things where he like let half truths in that episode where yeah. he was driving her back. I forget what it was, but there was a couple of things where he let half truths lie or something. Like sure. That. I could see that. Yeah. How many times did she die on that show? <laughs> How did she come back out of the hole in the woods? <laughs> yeah, it's like in twice freeze, in an episode. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. How did she come back from there? I don't know how that happened. Like, crawling up out of that hole, hit by a car and left for dead. Yeah. She gets pretty brutalized. Oh, and then is that the episode that ends with her in the hospital? Or yeah. is that? Okay. Yeah. Hanging on for dear life. She also could be in the hospital for six months for all we know. And it is a while because he's oh, calling his boss being yeah. like, I don't want to be here anymore. Get me out of here. Just yeah. It was many months. One more piece of Natasha Leone trivia that I, I can't let pass. No, lay it on me. Is that in Howard Stern interview, she uh, confirms that she was the first choice to play Buffy on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she turned it down. Oh, man. I don't think it would have been a good part for her. Agreed. And it would have completely changed the show, but I still want to see it. <laughs> I know. I would love to see screen tests or something. I, but- no, I want him to do it now. <laughs> just remake it now she's just pick adult one Buffy. episode and do one episode <laughs> with her <laughs> don't you wish you could just like do that like choose the people that are famously not cast in a role and be like we get one we gotta see one to put them side to side yeah we get to see one of that yeah yeah I, she's she's too gritty She's too grumpy. To play that character. It's yeah. a grumpy character. No, no. It changes the show completely. And I yeah. don't know into what, but yeah. uh, I can't really imagine it. But uh, I thought that was really interesting that they were trying to maneuver her into being, and they, they offered her a role on Dawson's Creek. Like they really wanted her to be this WB teen. She must have wanted that too, though. I mean, she was going to these auditions. <laughs> yeah, but she turned down the roles, so. Oh, she turned down those roles. I thought that they were, they ended up deciding for someone else. In her telling of the story, they wanted her for Buffy, and she decided not to take it. Interesting. Someday I'll ask her about it. Was she big enough to not have to audition at that point? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, how did they? How did that even happen? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We were talking about Cameron the other day, talking about people not big enough to audition. And it was, everybody was telling him that you got to get this, uh, you have to have Leonardo DiCaprio for Titanic and um, like all the execs and stuff. And he was like, all right, well, send him in and we'll have him read, I guess. And they're like, everybody, like, everybody was like trying to explain to him, like, he's Leonardo DiCaprio. You don't, he doesn't have to read. We're just casting him. He's like, everybody has to read. Everybody reads. Everybody auditions. That's how that works on my movies. And like, apparently DiCaprio was really put out that he was forced to audition for this role. He was like 21 at the time or something. Maybe. Yeah, but he was a big deal already. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he was probably a cocky little piece of shit about it. I am sure. As he said on that movie, uh, uh, actually, this was in that book that I had read. He said, said, DiCaprio was kind of a whiny brat the whole time we were working together. And Kate Blanchett made him a man. No, you're uh. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet made him a man because, like, 
we were working in like these tanks of water and like everybody was like freezing and stuff like that. And like, he, he kept wanting to like quit and she was just like, don't be a bitch. Just like get yeah. over it. And she was like toughen up. And she was like 17. She was a kid. Was she that young? Maybe 19, she, but she was she not was in her older, 20s. I thought she no. was older in that film. He was. Oh, he was. Yeah. I know my Titanic. I was. You were the Titanic. Obsessed. Oh my gosh. I was in seventh grade when that movie came out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I had a poster in my bedroom. If I can find a picture of it, we'll put it up. That (laughs) said, I love Titanic and Leo. That it was just Titanic and pictures of Leo. (laughs) So he he was your Tom Cruise, huh? (laughs) I guess so. Do you remember when Rosie O'Donnell had to pretend that she had a crush on Tom Cruise? For years. <laughs> but it was like, he's adorable sort of thing. Like he's a child almost. She just thought yeah. he was like cute as a button. But yes, that and the koosh balls. The Rosie O'Donnell years. Oh, yeah. She liked koosh balls. She threw them into the audience. Was she sponsored by koosh? I have no idea. It's just her thing. <laughs> she made so much money on that show. It's disgusting. Oh, I'm sure. There's like a great interview where she was like saying how like, well, I just kept saying no. And like the final number that I finally said yes to, it was like the most money anybody had ever made on a TV deal in history. Oh, really? Yeah. It was some obscene amount of money, which is why like she just produces things now. She just spends it. Which in the Oprah years is shocking. Oh, yeah. Well, they really wanted a white Oprah. (laughs) Yeah. They got a white lesbian Oprah. Well, they got it twice. I don't think she was out yet, was she? No, not until maybe the end of the run, but possibly yeah. after. But then they replaced her basically with Ellen. So, Oh, is that Ellen took over Rosie's slot? Not exactly. Not like one-to-one, but they tried okay. a bunch. A bunch of people had those daytime talk shows, and Ellen was the next one. I remember that like stuck in the way that – and now it's – no one's really doing it. I want a daytime talk show. That's the job I want. I used to think I wanted to be on late night or something like that. You know, it's a fantasy, obviously. I'm way past the the opportunity to get onto that track. That's you have to start that track. You know, you got it's early selection. You got to be on the road that way young. And also you have to be <laughs> funny and working as a comic. Like all of these things I sure. going for me. But I feel like the bar is lower for daytime. I'd like to have a daytime talk show. Yeah. Like uh <laughs> Is it Bonnie Hunt? Bonnie Hunt had one for a while. Oh, RuPaul yeah. did like a year stint in the daytime slot. Yeah, you're comparing me. To, you're comparing me to RuPaul's way above my weight class. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, yeah, I mean, yeah, but always, always <laughs> love me some Ru. I would have loved if that show took off, but then we might not have Drag Race. So that's a good point. Things happen as they should. Mm-hmm. Guys, we got to wrap this up. We do. <laughs> this is too much. Well, I would endorse. I think we both endorse po- Poker Face season one before the second season comes out. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I would say check that out. Also, I think we should do an episode on the in-laws if we're going to talk Peter Falk. I think we should watch that. Yeah, I want to dive so much deeper into everything he's done. I he is so charming. Like he's grabbed my interest for sure. A charming man with one eye. Ah, uh, yeah. Which I do you want to tell that story real quick? Do you know how it happened? No, I don't. He uh had cancer of the eye when he was three. And oh, they wow. took it out. Yeah. He Jeez. was like I guess he was like leaning his head in a weird way or something, and the doctors caught it. And he said his mom was like super diligent and on top of that type oh, of medical wow. stuff and they just removed his eye. Jeez. 
a rough thing for a kid, but damn. Well, and that was the thing. I guess that when he first tried an acting career, the producers were, <laughs> I guess some producer told him that for the same amount of money, he could get an actor with two eyes. <laughs> God. <laughs> Which what a horrible thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and he's telling this story and just laughing about it, but uh, it might be a joke that he made up to tell because that's a good one. That's a No, really good he line. named the guy who said it. So I I feel like Jesus it probably did happen. Christ, that's yeah. brutal. <laughs> oh my god, I love it though. <laughs> yeah. But it worked out. Worked out for him. It sure did. And for us. And for uh, us. All right. Well, this has been Midnight Local. You've been hanging out with me and uh, and with Meredith. Yeah. I feel like this turned into a Natasha and Peter fan episode, but I'm cool with that. What else was it going to be? I thought that was the plan. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. One is planned. We didn't do our housekeeping at the beginning. so. Well, they're here. They already know that they're here. So Yeah. We're, 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 this is Midnight Local. You can subscribe on the youtube and you can also listen anywhere you get your podcasts uh thank you guys so much meredith is there like I, we haven't recorded in a minute is there other stuff i'm supposed to say here or you were supposed to say or that we're yeah. supposed to say well a big thank you to our producer annie villalobos oh yeah and yeah, who edits the, these episodes as well uh yes. and to heather vaughn who did our artwork fantastic you see artwork. at the beginning of the episode yes. um and you usually like to oh I shout out a year welcome to Epidemic Sound for our patronage. You're welcome, Epidemic Sound. You're very welcome. Um, That's it. Yeah. I don't think there's enough year welcomes in the credits. Right. In general. It's always thank yous. Why don't, where's the year welcomes? There yeah, should be a we'll year start welcome that there. list. Yeah. There should be people who should be grateful that this exists. <laughs> that list will grow, I'm sure. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. We're doing it for you. You're welcome. All right. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Bye.